Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds to receive. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, let the word of God transform us, that the reality of the kingdom of God might become our everyday experience. And it's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. Please be seated. So I have a bad habit. I don't know, you're thinking, just one? No. I've got quite a few of them, actually. But there's one in particular that I want to talk about this morning. That bad habit is going to Costco without a plan. <laughs> you see, in the back of my mind, there's a little tiny bit of a plan, which is I need to pick up one or two things. But I walk in, and instead of going, here's my plan, one thing is there and one thing is there, and I'm going to go get them, I go, huh, there's an aisle. Let's check this one out. And so then, by the time I get to the register, this is the question they always ask you. Did you find everything you needed? And I came in for two things, and there are 27 things in my cart. No, I found a bunch of things I did not need. And here's what I ended up finding. I buy all this stuff, I get to my car, I get home, and inevitably, I have spent more time than I ever intended to spend. I have spent more money than I ever intended to spend. I have bought things I don't need, and I have forgotten something I actually needed. <laughs> That's what happens when I go to Costco without a plan. I wonder... Do you have a plan for your spiritual life? We think of planning in all kinds of ways. It could be planning out a vacation. It could be planning out a particular project you're doing in your house. It could be planning out a trip to Costco. We have plans. Do you have a plan for your spiritual life? Because my argument would be, if you don't, you probably spend too much time doing things you shouldn't be doing, giving too much energy to things that aren't taking you anywhere, probably missing some things you actually need because you're just going down various aisles, picking things out as they're shiny. Do you have a plan for your spiritual life? Open your Bible to John chapter 1. Jesus is going to ask this question. Do you have a plan? John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. The next day. A little context here. All right, when you look at the four Gospels, you've got different stories happening at different points. And the four writers are not always trying to let you figure out what all the chronology is. But I want to give you a little chronology for this particular section here. All right, the next day, so back up a day. The day before this, Jesus had come to the Jordan. And while he was at the Jordan, John had pointed out, Behold the Lamb of God. But none of the disciples followed him at that point. Now, if you back up, Somewhere around 40 plus days before that, 
He was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And before that, he was being baptized. A lot has happened before this. He comes to John, he gets baptized. The voice says, this is my son, and then he goes into the wilderness. John continues baptizing. He continues teaching. He continues doing what he's supposed to do. And somewhere 40 days later or so, Jesus comes back. And John goes, that's him. Well, nothing happens that day. The next day he comes back. That's him. This time something happens. Behold, the Lamb of God. Oh, I'm sorry. I get to the right section here. Um, verse 35, not 29. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. All right, there are two guys standing there. They are disciples of John, which means they call him master. They're learning from him. They're following him. They have likely been coming to the Jordan for quite a bit of time, and they're ministering along with John. But John points out, this is the one. This is the guy I've been talking about. This is the guy I baptized. This is the guy I've been teaching you about. And here's what happens. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following. All right, here's the image that I get. Sometimes my kids will walk into a room, and they'll just stand there. And they're kind of looking at you, kind of looking down, and they're shuffling a little bit. And you finally go, what? <laughs> what is it you want to ask? So here's these two disciples. Jesus walks by. John says, that's him. And they go, okay, that's the guy we're supposed to follow. But it's like they kind of stay back a little bit. They're not saying anything. They're just quietly following him until finally Jesus has to turn around and go, what? <laughs> and here's this question. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Why are you skulking behind me quietly like that? What is it that you want? What's your plan here? What's interesting is if you happen to have a red letter edition, these are the first words that he says in John. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What is it that you want? See, Jesus. Um, so my family and I, we, we've just started this. Um, we've started listening to TED Talks. Raise your hand if you know what a TED Talk is. I would expect that. Um, very, very popular. Um, while they started out 30 years ago, and it was very small, and like the first six years, it, like we were losing money. And, but now... There are 17 new page views every second globally. I mean, they are gigantic. But we started watching these TED Talks. You know, and essentially your TED Talk is a talk under 18 minutes to give you information on a variety of topics that will change your attitude and hopefully ultimately change the world. Short bursts of information. I think Jesus could give a series of short TED Talks. And he would say things like, I came to serve, not to be served. You need to get that. Follow me 
and I will make you fishers of men. He had definite plans. I came to seek and save what was lost. He knew exactly what he was about. He had a mission, and he stayed very focused on that mission throughout everything he is doing to the point that he would say, there are some people that are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to have to say, I don't know you. He would go to the religious leaders, and he would say, you are whitewashed tombs. You are blind guides. There's a church where there's a letter written to them, apparently said by Jesus, because it's all in red letters, and he says, you are neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Here's the thing about Jesus. He knew what he was about. He had a definite mission in mind, and he could have given it very simply. And so when these guys come to him, he says, what do you want? Why are you at Costco? Would you actually come for? And will you stick to that thing? Do you even know? Do you know? If I said to you right now, why are you following Jesus? Could you state it in your own little tiny TED talk? Heck, let's make it an elevator speech. In one minute, could you say, why? Why are you following? What's your plan? Why are you doing this? And people could answer all kinds of things. You know, I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for new health. I'm looking for a variety of stuff. What would your answer be to that question? Because I tell you, he asks it to every follower. What are you seeking? And here's their answer. Look back at your text. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, it's a good title, where are you staying? That's their answer. Hi. And you might think that didn't totally answer the question. They seem to be avoiding things here. What are you seeking? And again, they could have said, we want to overthrow the Romans. Will you help us do it? There's all kinds of things they could have said. They, they asked this question. What is this? What are they doing? So back in college... I was an English major, and there were certain classes I looked forward to. And one of them was on Renaissance poetry. I was really looking forward to this class. But I get into the class, and by day two, we've started reading, and we get in, and this is what the professor did. All right, everybody get into groups and begin to discuss. So we did that for the entire class period. And then we did that again, and again, and again, and again. And at some point, I thought to myself, self, why are we all sitting here pooling our ignorance when there's a PhD sitting behind her desk not sharing anything with us? Now, a lot of people within the class actually liked this because guess what you got to do when all you did is group work? Nothing. Yeah, I mean, that, it was quite enjoyable for some people. But I was this nerd that was like, I actually want to know what this lady thinks. 
So, one class period, this is what I did. We got into our groups. I just went and I sat down by her desk. And I waited. And it took her a minute because she was doing other things. Eventually she said, what are you doing? Or in the words of Jesus, what are you seeking? Why are you sitting here at my desk and not over there with your group? And I said, because I want to know what you know. Like, I want to learn. To be honest, I don't understand half of what I'm reading. Like, these poems don't make any sense. They sound kind of beautiful, but I don't know what half of this means. I want to know what this actually means. You know what they're doing? They're not answering the question, I want something, and here's what it is. What they're saying is, Rabbi, they're switching allegiance. They're going from John to Jesus as a master. That is a big commitment. They're saying, where are you staying? Because we want to come be with you. We want to come learn from you. They are answering this question in the exact right way. What are you seeking? I am seeking whatever you want for my life. I'm not bringing my stuff to you. I'm saying, here I am, Lord. What do you want? What can you teach me? How do you want to lead me? Instead of bringing all of my ideas, instead of bringing my agenda, instead of bringing my desires, I'm coming and saying, let me just walk with you. Let me come be with you so I can learn. You're the master. And this is something that would cost them because I guarantee you there's some comfort in having the same master for a long time, knowing what it's about, knowing what's going to happen when you walk out to the Jordan, knowing what he expects, knowing what the teaching is, and now saying, no, I'm going to switch allegiance. I'm going to switch where I learn from. I'm going to switch where my values come from, and I'm going to go to you now. The best answer to the question that Jesus is asking every single person who follows him, and it's this question, what are you seeking? And the best answer is, what do you want for my life? What are you calling me to? I want to follow you, not the other way around. And Jesus gives them something they need to do. And the same thing is true of everybody in this room. If you can answer the question, you know what I want, Jesus? I want what you want for my life. Then this has to come. Verse 39, and he said, come and you will see. Look at the order. Come and you will see. Not, well, I'm staying at 423, Black Hawk Lane, just go to the house. He says, no, you need to come with me. You gotta take some steps. You gotta walk away from the Jordan where you're used to being. You gotta walk clearly away from John, your old master. Who's your master right now? What do you follow the most? What guides you? 
What keeps you up at night? What gives you anxiety? What do you look for when you need answers? If it's not Jesus, he says, come away from it. I need you to walk away from that. Come to me. Because when you come to me, then you will see. It is not something you can just have described. Look what happens to these disciples. So they came... They saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, we have found Messiah. All right. Anybody have a family member who doesn't know Jesus? Raise your hand. How challenging is to talk to a family member about knowing Jesus when they don't know Jesus? It is one of the hardest people to talk to. Why? Number one, they know you, right? There's no shine. There's no glean over you. I mean, people look at, people from the outside can look at you and go, man, you're amazing. Like, you're just following Jesus every day, all the time, and the family member is going, yeah, I know him. I know what he did when he was younger. I know he still does. Like, it feels hypocritical to talk to family members. You feel all anxious inside because they're going to call you out. Or I mean, it's hard to talk to family. Boy, here comes Andrew. Does he have a message for his brother? We found Messiah. Really? <laughs> Come on, little bro. The Messiah, I mean, the Messiah But he says, no, this is who we have. He talks to his family member, and he brings him with him. Come on. Because he came to Jesus. He began to experience what it means to actually follow, and all of a sudden, life starts changing. Well, Peter, who listens to his brother and comes to Jesus, look at what happens. He found his own brother, Simon. He said to him, we found Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. As Peter begins to follow and actually take these steps, this crazy weird thing that his little brother says to him, he gets to Jesus, and Jesus goes, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your life because you came to me. But it is all connected to coming to Jesus. There is something that he says in John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's how we quote that verse most of the time. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is a really terrible way to quote that. Because the first part, if you abide in my word, if you do the things I'm telling you, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You cannot know Christianity in your head only and actually have it change your life. It does not work that way. Christianity does not work like that. Christianity changes lives as in faith we start following. Not perfection, not doing everything right, following. Christianity is an action religion. 
It is not a knowledge religion. That was Gnosticism. As long as you know certain things, then you will, in the end, get to ascend in all of these things. That is not Christianity. It has never been Christianity. In the late 1800s, there was a man who was thrown into prison in Madrid to serve a life sentence. He would live for 33 years. He was given one book, the Bible. For 33 years, he had the Bible. That's all he had to read. After he died, they went into the prison cell. He had used a nail to mark on the walls, to write on them. There was all of this Bible knowledge, ridiculous amounts of Bible knowledge that like today we would use concordances and computers and things like that to find, like the middle verse of the Bible is this. And he was right. The longest verse in the scriptures is this. This particular word is only used this many times throughout all of the Bible. I mean, it's just all this knowledge. You know what they did not find anywhere on that wall? A statement of faith. Nothing about belief in Christ. It does not matter how much you know if you are not living your faith because you will never know the freedom that comes with living the truth. You'll never know the life change that comes as these guys begin to experience and continue to experience when you come to Christ, when you begin to walk in his ways, when he says, we just covered this today in, in Sunday school. Be patient in tribulation until you actually start to practice being patient in tribulation. You will not know how that can set you free in tribulation. It's not enough to know that. We have to practice it, however imperfect we do it. Because stepping out in faith is the way in which we start to become like Jesus. It's how he transforms and changes us. So, what are you seeking? Why are you following Jesus? And if you can make the answer, I want what he wants for my life. And maybe that wasn't your answer. Maybe you hadn't really thought about it, but you want it to be your answer. The way that becomes your answer is by going to him by beginning to look at what he wants for your life and stepping into it. Not by knowing more things. Many of us know a lot about Christianity. But are we doing anything with it? That is how he changes us. That is how we become kingdom first people. And the reality of the kingdom of God becomes our experience because we're living the kingdom of God. I went to the store yesterday and my family waited in the car and I went in to get bread. I was in there for a while and as I came out with my two bags of groceries, all I saw was my wife pointing at me 
Apparently, she was saying something to my daughter along the lines of, I thought he went in there to get bread. And my daughter said, what did you expect? It's dad. My 13-year-old daughter knows me well. I just can't help myself. Now, I bought some things that were important, I think. They were important anyway. Bought something for the baby, bought a couple other little things. But here's the one thing that I know about grocery shopping. You can make a plan and write out a grocery list and even think about ingredients and think about what you might want, and you can even like do your whole week planned out. Like, we're going to have this on Monday and this on Tuesday and this on Wednesday, and here's what we've got to get. But if you don't go to the store and actually buy the food, when you get to Monday night, it's not going to be the best cooking experience because you have to go to actually get the ingredients. At the heart of Christianity is following Jesus. We've got to follow him. Not just know facts about him. Do another Bible study. Have some more cool things that we can share with one another. And by the way, I have nothing against knowing the Bible. Unless that's all you do with it. In which case, why? You can scratch all the stuff you want on a wall about random facts. But man, if you weren't following Jesus, why? Let's make our plan to seek what he wants for our lives by following after him and seeking to do the things he's asking us to do in faith and then see what he will do in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn what you call us to. We can learn your will through your word. We can know your son. But Father, please, let us be people who come, who follow, who abide in his word, not just know it so that you can bring the kind of life change that you want in all of our lives, that we might know the reality of your kingdom every single day in every relationship we have. In Jesus' name, amen.